All right. Well, welcome to another Sunday morning. I see you all have your theological seatbelts on. That's good. Pay attention to the signs. No, I'm kidding. So here's the reality, right? Trust is at a premium these days. It is very expensive and very difficult to trust people. It's more expensive than gasoline right now, right? And that's pretty expensive. And it's only going up. And it's only going up. And honestly, like, take your pick. Take your poison, right? Like, honestly, I think a lot of times we are like, everyone's out to get me. Everyone's out to get me. They're all evil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide in my shelter. And I'm not going to deal with anybody. And so whether we think about it in context of perhaps school or maybe we think about it in context of work or maybe we think about, you know, how the government's not trustworthy and politics and economics and boy, again, the list goes on and on and on. And we could be here for hours about that. But I'm here to tell you about the one person that you can trust in this world, the one who doesn't change and is always consistently trustworthy. So today is about that trust and that faith, especially in context of exhortation to trust the king, which is encouragement to trust the king. And that's what this sermon is all about today. It's about encouraging you to trust the king by giving you both positive and negative examples of faith or trust in that sense. So without further ado, let's glorify our Heavenly Father. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you certainly for all that you've done in our lives in regards to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for creating the church and your people, your body of believers. And just thank you, Lord, for telling us the truth and for shining a light to the way and the life. And so, Jesus, as we approach your word this morning, I just ask you to tune our hearts and our minds to your will, convict us by the Holy Spirit, and let us find joy and peace and righteousness, as is your kingdom in your text. And just let this morning stick with our hearts and our minds as we continue to grow by your grace to trust you more. So we love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we will forever pray. Amen. All right. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 19. The whole chapter. It's taken us five weeks to get through two chapters. And now oh, I'm just, just like, like, ah, that's too long. We just got to do a whole chapter. No, it's, it's always thematic. I always dice it all up because of that. And so this week, it just all flows together very well and very nicely. And so, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. 
and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Before diving into the first point, I want to remind you of the audience. I remind you of this letter that is really more like a sermon. When we went back to chapter 1, you don't see an introduction. And in fact, in my Jewish study Bible that I have recently purchased, the book of Hebrews is actually called Messianic Jews. So this is written to the Jewish community by an unknown author who clearly understood the Jewish community. And because he's writing to the Jewish community, especially when we get to these if statements, it is paramount that you understand that in this Jewish community, there are believers and there are unbelievers. And so he lumps it all together with the if we carry on in the faith. Not challenging those who are already in the faith, but ultimately challenging those who are not in the faith yet, who do not acknowledge Jesus as the foretold Messiah of the Old Testament and the revealed Son of God in the New Testament. That's the whole author's point here, is to bridge that Old Testament gap to the New Testament to show ultimately that Jesus is the Christ. He is that Messiah. He is the Son of God. And as the author has started in the first chapter to the second chapter, he's higher than the angels, yet for a little while was made lower than the angels. Perfect human, as we heard from the last chapter, so that he could be that faithful high priest who atones for our sins. And in this chapter, this chapter ultimately, it is about the challenge of faith. It is that encouragement to trust the king. And so, as you see from the two points, there is but one who is and was always faithful. And then there's that human aspect, that human challenge of faith and not necessarily understanding it. 
So as much as there were true statements in the very first chapter that we had about all to the glory of Jesus and God, there are faith truth statements thrown throughout this entire text. Now we always, not always, but many times, look at these things and, and we worry ultimately about, oh, can I lose my salvation? Can I, you know, things like that. But the reality that we know is that, no, once you have it, you have it. And you can't lose it. And you're going to change. But remember the audience in all of this, that there are unbelievers in, in the Messianic Jews that are out there that this letter was written to. Those who were devout in the faith, those who were, who were still adhering to the law, trying to climb the spiritual ladder in order to appease God in that sense. And so that's who is ultimately challenging, not those who already believe. So now that I've dismantled that, let's, let's get into the text here. And I want you to know from this first point, and I'm going to start with the, the biggest overarching statement here, is that a healthy focus and understanding of Christ encourages one to faithfulness. Okay? That's, that's right downable, <laughs> if you will. A healthy focus and understanding of Christ encourages one to faithfulness. So let's look at these first two verses. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly glory, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So it's interesting in this, this moment. This is the only time in the entirety of the New Testament that the word apostle next to Jesus is used. Now, I don't want to have a big, long debate about apostles or tell you about it. It's an interesting office, and it's not an office that exists today. And in fact, ultimately what they were was one who was sent, a divine messenger who was divinely appointed to do something. Just the same as when we see high priest. A high priest is someone who does something. And let me put it... Very, 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 well, the high, the high priest, priest is the atonement of the sins. sins. But, but the, way the way that we can understand, understand it easily is that, that an, an apostle makes God's, God's appeal with, with human, human beings, beings right? right? So, so it's, it's coming, coming down, down this, this way. way. Now, now a high priest turns and makes, makes your appeal back, back to God. God. This, this is, why is why Jesus is the great, great mediator. And this, this is, is the point of what, what the author is trying to convey. Because you need to see how Jesus fulfills all of these mediatory roles of prophet, priest, and king. And even, and even when, when we talk, talk about an apostle in this sense, very, very simply and very easily, think, think of it as the, the prophet. You think, think of it as a messenger. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has taken God's will and shared it with humanity. He introduced the kingdom of heaven and introduced God. And then, and then Jesus, Jesus did that flip, and then, and then he became the high priest for us by becoming like us in the flesh to make our appeal. And really what Jesus is saying all the time is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's, and that's the human, human experience. Must, must don't, don't know, know the right, right hand from the left in, 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 in any case, let, let alone in regards to spiritual matters. Why we're even here? here. Oh, it's very, it's very difficult. difficult, but very, very important, important to see. Together, together Jesus, Jesus is that mediator, and he's fulfilling those two different roles in, in this case. case. 
Now, now this, this house, house of, of God, God is, is very interesting and very fascinating, fascinating too, from, from the, the Jewish, Jewish perspective, perspective. Because, because he quotes, quotes Moses, and this, this is actually, while not specifically shown as quoted, that, that line is, is actually pretty, pretty well known, known from Numbers, from Numbers verse 2. He was, he was faithful, faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. That's, That's a statement, statement back, back from, from Numbers, numbers when, when Moses was building the tabernacle, which, which was God's, God's house at that time. Now, now again, again flip, flip it on its head a little bit, and, and you've got Old Testament Moses, who is, is very, very well known. known. Okay? Okay? That's, That's why, why Moses, Moses is, is here, here, because even, even if, if you weren't, weren't like a, a, a stout, devout Jew, Jew many, many people had still heard of this Moses character. I would say he's even more popular than, than Abraham, than, than maybe, maybe King David, David than, than you know, you know, several, several of the other patriarchs that God established covenants with. with. And, so and so Moses, Moses certainly, well, well known. In, in fact, fact, the reason, reason why, why Moses established the law, law. and then man, man as, as a Messianic Jew, Jew I, I love, love the law. law. I, can't I can't do, do the law, law. I sure love it. it. I think, I think it's, it's great, great for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily for me, for me but for you, you totally, totally fine. fine. Not, not a problem whatsoever. So, so the, the church, church is, is actually the house. And we're, we're going to see this, this flip here, here in a minute. minute because, because you see the builder versus the house itself. And that's, and that's what ultimately the author is conveying here in verse 3 and 4. four. Yet, Yet we, we have, have the master builder in, in verse 4 as God. God. So, so Jesus, Jesus, higher, higher than Moses, of worth more, more honor and glory. Certainly, certainly that, I think, think the authors established that in the first, first two chapters, chapters saying he's higher, higher than the angels for a while lower. And, and now, now he's talking about um, the, the comparison between Moses and Jesus. Moses, Moses being that well-known, well-loved patriarch that, that all of the Jewish community would, would appreciate and understand. And then Jesus is even better than that? Now, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's almost blasphemy in sense to a lot of these Jewish, Jewish people. people. But they're, they're looking, looking for that Messiah. Messiah. And unfortunately, still today, there are Jews that do not acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, God's anointed one. So, so the separation of, of, of the houses really, really comes down in these last couple verses, five and six. Um, as, as they say, if you will. Now, now Moses was faithful, paid attention to this, in all God's house. As a servant, and, and then, then drop down a little bit more, bit more. But, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Those, Those are the big comparison and contrasts here in, in this. this. The builder, ultimately, meaning God, is building a house, and then and you, you see that in verse 6, a house of people, which is ultimately his church. So, so, there, there is, is but one who is and was always faithful. And a healthy focus and an understanding of Christ encourages one to remain faithful in him. I want, I want you to think about this too. What we think about Jesus affects how we worship Jesus. Which, again, going back, that healthy focus and understanding of Christ encourages one to faithfulness. And so this whole thing, again, bridging the gap 
what, what I, believe I believe the author is trying to convey is to encourage you to trust the king because the king has come and his name is Jesus. And he's shown them ultimately the way. So being in God's house, being over God's house, this is also very important for us in regards to our salvation and the sanctification because Jesus is over the house. Moses was in the house. We are in Christ. We are the house that Christ has built. I hope I explained that well. <laughs> it confuses even me sometimes to think about it. But how brilliant of a, a, like a strategy that God has and God has declared in creating a people for his own possession, a royal nation or a holy nation, a royal priesthood, if you will. Because we are in Christ. We are his house together. So we see, hopefully, that Jesus being more faithful than Moses. Because when you look back at the stories of Moses, how many times did Moses still sin? How many times did Moses still cause issues? Did you know that Moses broke the Ten Commandments one time around? And God's like, okay, I'll give it to you again. But how much frustration. And Moses didn't get to go into the Promised Land because of that sin. And as we will read here in a moment from uh, the scripture and the text, it goes back to Psalm 95, which, if you think about it, turn there, because I'm going to read that for us in a little bit, but shows us the nature and the character of our Lord and, and how we are so easily led astray in all of this. So the human challenge of faith. There's no shortage of the human challenge. And the first point is easy, because I believe that we all understand that certainly there is but one who is and was and will be always faithful. And in fact, even despite our faithlessness, he remains faithful to us in all aspects of our lives. Sure, we might not have it the way that we want it, but ultimately, that's life dealing with sin in this world. And we're going to get into that a lot. And there's a lot of faith statements to think about in this next session, which is the biggest point. And as you see from the sheet that I gave you, I even broke out the second point into three sections. I didn't want to make it into like three more points. I wanted to leave it as one big point because it all deals with the struggles that we have. But there are ultimately three different points and a lot of um, faith statements, if you will. So, verse 7 through 11. Faithfulness involves choosing obedience based on your level of trust in God. I'll repeat that. Faithfulness involves choosing obedience based on your level of trust in God. So, this whole verse 7 through 11 here is taken from Psalm 95 in its entirety. And what's really interesting about this is that it sounds completely negative, right? But if you go back to Psalm 95, some of you might remember this, some of you might not remember this. This was actually uh, one of my Thanksgiving psalms <laughs> that I preached in November of this last year, Psalm 95. And what's fascinating about this is that it is a a psalm of encouragement. It's a psalm of exhortation. But 
taken the way that it is, it causes one to think, certainly. And so Psalm 95, being all about praise and being all about worship, reads like this. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Now let me continue to read it upbeat. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as at Meribah. On the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put him to the test and put him to the proof that they had seen his work, for 40 years God loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known his ways. Therefore, God swore in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Boom. It's all about inflection. It's all about tone. It's all about understanding where these passages from the Old Testament come from, in a sense. And so, let me, let me break this down for you even more. Because Psalm 95, ultimately, that last half and that last situation stems back from a situation in Exodus. And Exodus chapter 17. Verse 7 says this, He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And that ultimately is the point of this whole section. Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind or don't you? That's what he's pointing to in this and causing you to think and causing you to be like, hmm, we all have to work this out. I know I personally have had to work this out. Does God have my best interest in mind at all times? Or do I need to take the wheel back, if you will? Most people are like, ah, I drive my own ship. <laughs> right? But ultimately, we do drive our own ships, but having that trust to know that God certainly does have our best interests in mind, as well as what was said in Exodus, is the Lord among us or not? Every day of your life, the Lord is among you. He hasn't left. He is here. Past, present, future. We have a piece of him living within us, the Holy Spirit, that helps guide us and convict us as we continue to walk in all of our lives, whatever that walk may be, whatever doors open and doors close along those paths. I do believe God has an influence in all of that. But I also believe certainly that God does have my best interest in mind at, at all, like I am his. And when you read Psalm 95 in its entirety, it kind of goes back to chapter one, like here are all these truth statements of who God is either is these things 
or he's not any of these things. There's no gray area. There's no in-between. He's either Lord of all, creator of heaven and earth, and everything that's in it, or he's not. Again, there's a challenge for trust, and there's a challenge for faith in that statement. Do you trust that God is the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it? Do you believe that human beings are created in the image of God? Do you believe that you are worthy of dignity and respect? Do you believe that you are loved on a daily basis? Or has the world gotten to you and people gotten to you in their sin that has brought you down to be like, no, I don't believe any of these things because of people, because of other people, because of what will be the next section, the communal experience of the church. When a bunch of sinners get together, some of them putting on fake facades, trying to be something that they're not, rather than being real human beings that admit that they struggle and need help. And that's where we find ourselves. And that's why this is an exhortation to trust the king. For he is the same yesterday as today and tomorrow. His promises are secure. What God says, he does. No way, fans or buts. How it might happen, it might be different than what we think. But he is faithful, despite our faithlessness at times as a human being. He is worthy of trust, despite even ourselves being trustworthy at times. Hmm. The second point from this. Faithfulness is volitional as well as emotional or intellectual. This whole section, and especially as I'll break it down here for you, I feel like ties very closely to what James says. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Look at all the verbs in this little section. Look at to hear to harden, to test, to work, to be provoked, to go astray, to know, and to rest. All of these are actionable items. What this informs us is that faith is actionable, which is what James was saying, is that faith without works is dead. But the caveat that we get or don't get is that these works are an outpouring of the love that has been poured into us. You have to check the heart motives. It is not, I have to, as the Messianic Jews were adhering to the law. It is, I want to, because I have seen Jesus for who Jesus is. And I am honored to be a part of his kingdom, to know him and to love him and to serve him. That's the big difference. That's what's different from religion and Christianity in its entirety. Religion is that works-based system of you trying to climb that spiritual ladder, trying to appease a God, you trying to atone for your own sins. Whereas Christianity is that grace of God. It is that unmerited favor of God, receiving that mercy of God, not getting the punishment that you deserve, to be with God in a reconciled relationship because that great apostle and high priest, the one who declares God's glory to you, turns around and pleads to God on your behalf 
all while being God. As amazing as that is. As amazing as our Lord and Savior is in all of that. So, to repeat, faithfulness is volitional, which means actionable, as well as emotional or intellectual. Now, the second section, verses 12 through 15, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Faithfulness is communal, not singular. It involves multiple people. Get to another point. But this big overarching point that we must understand is that faith has no power within itself. Okay? but in the one in whom we put our faith. It has no power, faith has no power within itself, but in the one in whom we put our faith. And again, based on the audience, he's covering both bases. He's covering believers and unbelievers. Because unbelievers who still haven't acknowledged that Christ is the Messiah aren't necessarily going to, you know, there's, there's going to be evil and believing hearts in them, right? In the end, and when they hear his voice, if you will, they may, may not listen. So, I look at it this way, too. Like, we all have faith, in a sense. But saving faith, I believe, comes from God, because God has shown you reasons to trust him in your life. And each one of us has a different reason. Like, I could overly simplify this and say, yeah, if I gave Chris 20 bucks and I said, hey, go buy lunch, I have the faith that Chris is going to take my 20 bucks and buy lunch. He may or may not share it with me, but he's going to take my 20 bucks and he's going to buy lunch, right? Like, like that's, that's the faith. But this faith and this salvation faith is, have you seen the sun? Have you known the Son? Do you have a relationship with the Son? Because to know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is to trust Him. And then to trust Him is to serve Him. And it keeps moving on. Because if indeed we have seen and we have tasted that the Lord is good, we want more. That's in undeniable truth in this life. Because we've all tasted sin, and you can keep it. It's like vinegar. It's bitter. It's ugly. But the nourishing nectar of our Lord Jesus certainly is something that we want more and more and more of. And it all stems from that initial relationship. And trust is the foundation of every single relationship. But you saw how it came a little farther down in my line there as the third one, because if he didn't love us first, there's no way we would trust him. There's no way that we would love him in return. And so we had to learn of Jesus. 
and then we had to learn to love him because we saw that he loved us. And that's what builds the trust that makes us serve, that makes us his. <coughs> Just as Moses was a faithful servant in his house, may the Lord make us faithful servants as his house, his church, if you will. So, not only is faithfulness communal, not singular in that sense, and has no power within itself, but the one that we put the faith in, faithfulness grows from an encouraging association with the community of faith. Listen, in this, this says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's been no qualms about it. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if you are alone, you can totally expect to be devoured. You can totally expect to be left to your own thoughts. You can totally expect to be influenced. You can totally expect to have a bad day. You can expect your joy to be robbed in all of this. But as we are in Christ, we share. We share an eternal destiny. Look at how it started. Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Is this not true? Do we not all share in the heavenly calling? Do we not all share in Christ? Do we not all share a heavenly father? Do we not all share the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do we not all, and, and think about this from the last chapter, he who sanctifies and he who gets sanctified share the same spirit. Do you see all the sharing going on? Makes me wonder why there's these Lone Ranger Christians. They don't exist. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. You are to share in community together. And that is faithfulness. And that is how faithfulness grows. There's, again, God has worked like, like, yes, Sunday mornings are important. This is worshiping God. I would still say that what happens the other six and a half days of the week are maybe more important than what happens on Sunday morning. Because as we work together as community, as we share in growth groups, as we become tangible friends as well, man, we learn so much from each other. My community group right now, Literally, I've been asking one question a night, and it's taking an hour and a half to two hours because we all share. And it's been amazing. Just amazing. I have been so encouraged by everyone. And I've learned so much about people that I haven't known. You know, in, in gosh, how long have I known you guys? Like years. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's just, it's a beautiful expression of how God works. And God uses each of us to, again, build that faith within us. Listening to how you got through a trial and a tribulation will maybe help me help someone else through a trial and a tribulation based on your experience of how God has worked in your life to you know, effectively know what to pray for. Like There are so many benefits. This is why if you, again, isolate yourself it, it, it's all wrong. It is all wrong. And trust me, as someone who has isolated himself in his youth 
as, as a Christian because he was frustrated by the hypocrisy of sinners <laughs> who called themselves Christians at some times. Like, I get it. I totally get it. I want to encourage you to trust the king. Not all of his community are hypocrites. Not all of his community are out to get you, if you will. But God has ordained a family, the church, which is poignantly pointed out in this passage that this encouraging association with the community of faith certainly helps build us and our character. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Certainly praise the Lord for his church. So this very last section now, verse 16 through 19. It's pretty negative. It's really negative. I'm not going to lie to you. We have problems. We have this thing called sin, which comes at us in this way. The failings of sinfulness, disobedience, and unbelief can ruin faithfulness. <laughs> the failings of sinfulness, disobedience, and unbelief can ruin faithfulness. Sinfulness is missing the mark. We were just talking about that this morning. Hamartia is the Greek word for it. It has a hunter's theme with it, right? You got it now. Yes, you're repeating it. It's going to stick in your brain now, right? But this missing the mark, ultimately, sin, we fail to glorify God as we were created to glorify God. God created us for worship. You all worship something. But because of sinfulness, we tend to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying our maker and our creator, as Psalm 95, as well as the first chapter of Hebrews, you know, tells us and informs us and instructs us. So you have that. You have missing the mark, the failure to glorify. Then you have disobedience. This is probably what the vast majority of Christians and non-Christians understand sin to be. This is doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> like, I don't think I need to go into any details on this. I think we all, you know, know right from wrong because being created in the image of God, you have a pretty good idea of what right and wrong is, but you're like, eh, I don't care. I like it. I enjoy it. And that brings us to the last one, which is that unbelief. And ultimately, that's not trusting that God has your best intentions in mind. That's not trusting that he is Lord of all, that he is creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. This unbelief in you, if you will, is that you don't trust the maker. You really don't trust anybody. You probably don't even trust yourself in your disbelief or your unbelief in all of this. And of course, that certainly ruins faithfulness. Any one of those three, you know, glorifying yourself, doing what you know you shouldn't be doing, or just not caring, I guess, you know, might be an easier way to put it in the, the unbelief. But ultimately, despite all of this negativity, the faithful persevere in commitment and relationship until the end. We see certainly that these in the negative context, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief, because of their lack of trust of God. Um, but the faithful do persevere in this commitment and relationship in the end. For, as Paul says, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day 
of Christ. At the day of resurrection, if you will. Despite trials and tribulations, I still know Jesus is king. I might get mad. I may have to lament at certain times, but I know my Lord. And this is one of those things, and especially when you look at this chapter and you think about all these if statements. And again, I implore you to remember, he's just writing to the Jewish community. He's not writing to, you know, these stout believers, but there's unbelievers mixed up in that. And so even when I reflect on the course of this past year, and I had to step away from the pulpit because I was deeply bothered by a trauma that had happened in our lives, I still knew Jesus was good. I was ticked off. I'm like, how could you let this happen? Why don't you just smote everybody? I expect some smiting, some smitey smiting going on here, Lord. But even in all of that, I've come to see the human plight and, and the human drama and the human tragedy, if you will, because of sin, because of not knowing your right hand from your left. And in all of this, despite my own challenges, and despite everything, ultimately, I know Jesus is king, and I know Jesus is good. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if, despite these challenges and these traumas that have gone in my life, I do believe in this statement that the faithful will persevere in commitment and relationship until the end. Because as mad as I was, I, I still knew the truth of the reality that I live in. I hate sin, <laughs> as God hates sin. I don't want to deal with it, but you have to. You're here on earth. And until we get the new heaven and a new earth that God ushers in, until Jesus comes back, we're going to deal with it. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I certainly know what's wrong with the world. And I know what's being done to fix it. And I know who is fixing it. And in all of this, and in all of our lives, that's something to hold on to. That's trust. That's faith in a nutshell. And if God didn't do what God had done before, and things like that happened, I would probably be in jail right now. Because I don't know what I would have done <laughs> if I did not know my Lord and Savior. Like there would be carnage. Because <laughs> that's all... As a human being, I know what to do. Eye for an eye, sucker. I got you. And I will get you. And that's humanity. And that's the sadness of humanity. As well as that lack of trust that we have right now in the world and everywhere. So man, I encourage you to trust in the king in all aspects. Regardless of trials and tribulations. And especially when we know that Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that has been poured into us. And it's all truth. It's all truth for life. And so, I love Hebrews. I've really grown to love Hebrews chapter 3, just because it does cause me to think, and it does cause me to reflect on both the positive and the negative aspects of faith and the challenges that we have as human beings. But it also reminds me that 
hey, we have a Lord who gives me strength for the day and hope for tomorrow. And someday I will be with him. But until that day, I'm still going to love him and I'm going to love his church. I'm going to love his people to the best of my God-given ability. Because, for if it was not for him, I wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. You know, but he wanted us here. So praise the Lord for that in all of this. And so, thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what you've done. And thank you, Jesus, for all you will do that I may or may not know about. But I trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, there's just so much going on in the world and in my heart, and that was hard there at the end. But Lord Jesus, certainly, may we know that you are good. May we know that you are trustworthy. May we know that the faith required for salvation that provides us your rest from works, from, from our challenges. Just, just thank you. That, that's all I need to say in this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen.